One of the things that we must concentrate on from a farming point of view is do not allow cows to carve on crop. That's an absolute must. Kia ora and welcome back to Talking Dairy, where we dive into the most important topics on the minds of New Zealand dairy farmers. In today's episode, we are discussing wintering from a research perspective with Dairy NZ senior scientist Dr Dawn Daly and Southland dairy farmer Rob Dingle. How did we arrive at our current wintering practices? What's next for wintering animals on crop? And what kind of changes has Rob made on his farm? Let's find out. Dawn and Rob, thank you so much for coming on Talking Dairy today. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Rob, I wonder if we can kick things off maybe with you just telling us a bit about where are we actually recording this uh, podcast from today? Where are you sitting at the moment? Tell us a bit about your, your farm and how long you've been there for. We are farming in Wendenside, which is northern Southlands, so it's sort of roughly equally distant between Riversdale, Waikaia and Balfour, and we farm 230 hectares here. It's all flat, no watercourses, all one soil type, and the soil profile is probably two or three inches of soil, and then a pan, which is sort of clay-bound gravels, and then beneath that is free-draining profile. So our biggest risk possibly is the nitrate leaching. So brilliant. And and Dawn, uh, just just for people who are listening who might might not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your role at Dairy NZ and where you're based. So I'm a senior scientist based out of Lincoln, but spend a lot of my time uh, down in Southland and South Otago because I'm involved with the research at the Southern Dairy Hub. So I've been with Dairy NZ and the Farm Systems team for about 18 years, came back from a stint over in Australia and um, have been working in that farm systems, animal behaviour, wintering system space over that time. Can you tell us a little bit about how the research relating to wintering has changed over the years? Yeah, it's really interesting because when I first started um, doing the research in wintering in about sort of 2007, I went back through the literature and you can get papers out of the New Zealand grasslands back to about the 1970s talking about wintering systems or down here in the south. But it's probably been since about the mid-1990s that there's been more interest in wintering, particularly in relation to, to dairy cows. So a lot of the early research focused on the agronomy of the different crops and was really focused on trying to grow as much dry matter as possible and not really a lot of emphasis on the, the quality of that or the utilisation of it when the, the animals were actually eating it. But then sort of in the, the mid-2000s, there was probably a bit of a shift with the industry realising that achieving body condition score targets for carving was really important. So there became a lot more focus on the allocation and the utilisation of the feed and the quality of the different crops as well. So there was quite a lot of research done around understanding how much needed to be fed to achieve those body condition score targets and how different crops varied. And then probably in the late 2000s, there was more of a focus on understanding all of the wintering systems. So the original focus had been around crops, but the Southern Wintering Systems Project teamed up with farmers to look at the key features of a range of different systems based either on crop or on pasture or using infrastructure, so barns and things like that. So there's sort of been a, a progression. And then more recently, it's been very much understanding the 
environmental impacts and the animal welfare impacts of wintering that that's been a focus of the crop wintering. Did you say that the research really kick-started in the 90s? Uh, yeah, so probably the, the mid-90s and then has yeah, sort of carried on from there. So it was it was probably more component research, really looking at the crops, but then late 90s, early 2000s or mid-2000s, looking at the whole farm system, so understanding all of the different aspects of it. Sure, and that, that research in the mid-90s, where did the drive for that come from? Was that something coming from farmers or from industry? It was probably a combination of both. So um, I guess we'd seen, started seeing the expansion of dairy and looking at, well, what were the opportunities to grow more feed to be able to manage the animals over that period of sort of two to three months, um, particularly in the more southern regions where there's not a lot of grass growth and we need to be able to push feed into that period. And for you personally, Dawn, the research that you've been involved with, how have you seen that? I mean, you might have answered this already, but... How have you seen that change over time and how have you seen its influence on the way that we think about wintering? It's always been quite a strong farm systems focus. So looking at, um, particularly with the southern wintering systems, it looked at all aspects of the wintering. But probably more recently, there's been more of a focus on achieving the environmental and the animal welfare requirements and understanding, I guess, the implications of some of the proposed regulations and like limit setting processes and things like that. So what impact that um, will potentially have on wintering for the future. And probably the other thing is more recently is I guess a little bit of a focus in terms of well, what are the are the other options apart from crop wintering that are affordable, but also now that actually achieve the greenhouse gas and the water quality requirements because some people might think that taking cows off crop is a really simple solution, but we know from some of the previous house research that those off paddock systems have their own set of challenges and so they may not deliver on the environmental gains that people might expect at the outset and they do um, come at a significant capital cost. So I guess there's been a realisation that there's actually no silver bullets to what we're doing with wintering and that there's going to be, I guess, areas where that cropping we will be able to get to good management practice and achieve the outcomes that are needed, but other areas where there might be some more challenges that we need to have some different solutions. So definitely not a one-size-fits-all. How exactly do you go about getting your research findings out to farmers like Rob? What's the process for getting the results out onto the farm? The starting point is a lot of our research has been on commercial farms. So because in Southland there hasn't, up until the um, the formation of the Southern Dairy Hub, there wasn't a research farm down here to be doing the research. So we actually partnered with farms and did the measurements and understood stood their systems. So we've actually presented wintering workshops at the South Island Dairy event every year except one since 2007. And so that's included updates on the research that's been happening both locally and also through national programs and also introducing the, the tools and resources that we've developed as part of those projects. And 
the other thing is, I guess, with that participatory research approach, because we've got farmers involved, they're talking to, it says a lot of lot more peer, peer-to-peer extension of information, so knowledge of the projects and, and the results. And then with the, the regional team, the, our regional extension team, and with Beef and Lamb, we've run a lot of wintering field days, discussion groups. We've had winter farm tours where we've had a range of different speakers talking about the research that has been happening. And all of that research has been used to update information on the or the technical information on the Dairy NZ website. So we've built it into to that. And we've also had a a few rural delivery episodes and for me as a scientist presenting at conferences and getting those journal papers written up as well. So we sort of try as many avenues as possible to to get that information out. Yeah, it sounds like it. Your research has addressed lots of different challenges over the years. What's the focus of your work now? Probably in the last few years, it's been trying to understand the longer term impacts of the crop wintering and particularly with fodder beet. So fodder beet, well, it's not new now because it's been around for sort of 10 or 12 years, but it's, it was quite a different feed. So understanding, I guess, where that fits long term into the system. Definitely, there's been a lot of focus around water quality and understanding the leaching losses and nitrogen leaching losses. And more recently, the animal behaviour on the crop, the crop wintering. So we've been looking at identifying what the conditions are in the the paddock that the cows find uncomfortable for lying. So that then provides a trigger for the farmers in terms of when they need to implement their contingency plan for wintering. So when we have those wet events, at what point do we need to be thinking about doing something differently? So, and I guess the last area is looking at are there some different ways that we can be establishing our crops that make it better from an environmental perspective and also from an animal welfare perspective? So looking at reduced cultivation and then what can be happening after that, that crop to, to reduce those environmental impacts as well. And probably the last project, which links to, I guess, to thinking about not one size fits all, is a project that's investigating options for a lower cost infrastructure and looking at some innovative loafing surfaces to go in those wintering pads or barns that because currently there's quite a heavy reliance on wood chip and we know that that's expensive and and challenging um, potentially more challenging going forward so are there some other surfaces that will achieve the welfare requirements that we have but are affordable and, and fit into the system so obviously your your research is based in Southland, but are the results, are the findings that you come up with, are they applicable to farmers uh, in other parts of the country? Oh, definitely. And some of the early work with the crop wintering was actually done in Canterbury. So as part of the P21 programme at the Ashley Dean Research Farm up there. But yeah, I mean, crop wintering is very similar throughout the country. So definitely the learnings from what we've been done here, down here are relevant to those in, in other regions. Thanks, Dawn. Rob, we'll bring you into the discussion now. How long have you been wintering animals for in Southland? Uh, we've been wintering cows for 25 years. Part of that was nearly days in Canterbury, but probably for the last 18 years in Southland. And our focus is, from a financial point of view, has always been to focus on trying to winter cows outside because, as Dawn 
mentioned um, it's still the lowest cost option, although it has presented many challenges. And I totally agree with Dawn on our early focus was on growing the highest yielding crop and getting as many cows as we could on the smallest area so that we, uh, you know, the cost of wintering wasn't too extreme. Now the focus has obviously changed and we're much more aware of the environmental impacts that we have. So our biggest challenges and our focus is on ownership of the issues. I suppose that's one of the things that has changed, especially around wintering in Southland. And I could sort of list a number of bullet points around paddock selection, cultivation methods, the summer, autumn planning, you know, simple things that can be achieved in the paddock is working from the green side, not working from the black dirt side, you know, because we all know that tractor tyres, their marks uh, as bad as cows pugging, you know, things like mob sizes, back fencing, portable troughs, you know, all those things have changed quite dramatically in the last five plus years. What are the biggest changes that you have made on your farm? I don't know if you want to go back 25 years or talk about the last five to 10 years. The biggest changes are paddock selection, paddock selection and the cultivation methods. You know, these recent changes we're looking at probably moving away from conventional cultivation because there's things like the strip tillage, the direct drilling. It gives more opportunity for cows to stay up on top. So that then feeds into catch crop options around catch cropping. So it's trying to mitigate those losses. But in order to mitigate those losses and get your catch crop and you need to reduce the pugging. So all of those cultivation methods are around reducing the um, that heavy animal to pug, really. So summer and autumn planning, that's something else that we never did 25 years ago. We just grew the highest yielding crop and chucked as many cows on as we could in the break size and didn't have any back fencing, didn't have any portable water troughs much. So mob sizes makes a massive difference to pugging, absolutely massive difference to, to pugging, back fencing and portable troughs. There again, it's a bit more time consuming, but it makes a huge difference to those cows staying very close to the break, very close to the, the feeding break and not roaming. Our focus, as Dawn said earlier, has been on body condition school cows going the autumn into the winter because we've found that well-fed cows don't roam and roaming cows can cause untold damage, especially if they can roam freely over a whole paddock. So you've got little finer details like grazing the face into the weather, that helps. And obviously having plenty of supplement on hand to keep your cows well-fed. What's been the process for you in terms of working out what works best on your farm? How much has it been influenced by the research that people like Dawn are doing? Like, where do you get that advice from? Quite a lot has been influenced. I mean, obviously, all farmers are under pressure from central government. We've been challenged by central government to improve. And so, as I said, we've taken ownership of those issues and are making improvements with the support of the industry bodies like Beef and Lamb, Dairy NZ and others who have done the research. So it's now the farmer's challenge to pick up those bits and pieces and put into practice on their farms 
what makes sense to them. Ben, if I can just chip in here, Rob's involved in a, one of our participatory research projects looking at greenhouse gases and alternative scenarios and things. And after one of our meetings, we we're having a chat around strip-till cultivation or establishment of fodder beet. And I sort of raised the um, idea, would he consider putting in a few strips in a paddock just to see how it went? Well, the next time I talked to him, he said he'd just finished establishing all of his paddocks using strip tillage. So had definitely gone away and thought about it and decided that there was enough merit in it and has since put a catch crop in behind. So yeah, definitely somebody who's prepared to lead the way and try a few different things to improve the wintering. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Dawn. Rob, how do you factor animal care into your wintering plan, you know, animal welfare? To be honest, we haven't really considered it until quite recently. So the first port of call really in terms of animal welfare is, you know, my thoughts would be if you're following best practice on some of the things we've already talked about, small mobs, back fencing, portable troughs, having good conditioned cows, plenty of supplement, and on those 10, 15 very, very wet, horrible, foul Southland days, perhaps consider shifting your brakes twice and back fencing every day, then I think for a lot of people, that animal welfare would be covered. Certainly our animals outside in those days, you know, I'm not sure whether we're going to totally mitigate those conditions. It just, it is what it is, but we can reduce the way animals look like on the paddock, I suppose. So especially by shifting that brake twice daily, means that they've got somewhere to lie down. Hey, and what sort of key wintering practices do you see becoming the norm? The key wintering practice I see is probably about the cultivation methods because obviously pugging is an issue. So if we go back a step further, we look at the cultivation methods. You know, conventional cultivation isn't that great for pugging, especially under those wet conditions. So maybe we should look at more strip tillage, more direct drill. So those are the things that would reduce not only pugging, but would help with animal welfare. Considering the grass baleage option, that's a consideration. There needs to be a lot more work done on that, the financials on that. Dairy farmers should also take responsibility of where their cows might be grazing because they may not be on the platform, they might be offered a grazier, so they should take an interest in where they are and just be aware of what that grazier might be doing because you know they can't totally walk away from the responsibility. And obviously that goes to absentee owners. They should make sure that their staff are knowing what best practice looks like. Sure. And what about you, Dawn? Same question. What key practices do you see becoming standard? Yeah, I think the ones that Rob has outlined, all really important ones. Probably for me, getting all farmers reassessing their wintering practices. So at the end of the winter, having a debrief with their team or what worked well, what didn't work well, where did we have issues? And especially in light of the new regulatory requirements, 
especially in regions where like limit settings coming in and things like that. So understanding that. I guess the other area that has been quite a strong focus in the last couple of years is having that contingency plan for those adverse weather events. So Rob's talked about like moving the animals on, having extra supplement and things like that. Yeah, so what does that look like for their farm and, and making sure that the team understand the conditions when that would need to be implemented. So what what does that look like? And thinking about that from both an animal welfare and an environmental perspective. So we've probably had more of a focus on the environmental perspective up till now, but really thinking about the animals and making sure that those contingency plans are realistic and doable. So something that it's fine, I can put it on paper, but actually it's not really going to work for my farm. And as Rob said, a lot of them are small tweaks. So just thinking about the direction of your grazing and how can you utilise those. So if you're grazing kale, can you actually utilise that kale as a protection from the weather? So, yeah, just, I guess, that reassessing and looking at where, where the risks are for their businesses. If I could jump in there, Ben, a lot of the, in the early days, what we used to do was think about where the first break went in the winter feed crop the morning that we dried the cows off. So that planning has to start way back in the summer and follow through to the autumn so that we actually put down on a piece of paper where the cows will be and in what mob sizes, where they're going to graze, where the water's going to come from, where the baleage would sit. All that has to be done well in advance of drying off and putting cows on crop. So if we don't have that, if we don't plan, then, you know, in Southern we can get a late snow in May and it turns into an absolute disaster if you haven't got a plan. So, you know, it's really about planning. Yeah, so what I was hearing there is good planning and then Dawn, you were also saying review it at the end of the season as well, see what worked and what didn't work, yeah. And for me, it's the really important thing is getting the whole team involved. Like you talk to a lot of farmers and they say, yeah, I've got a plan, but it's in my head. Well, that's not particularly useful if you're off farm and something happens. So it's, as Rob said, that documentation of that plan, doing it early and everybody understanding what needs to happen when and, and how it's going to proceed through the winter. Rob, on the farm, I was, I was wondering about what that process looks like for you with the planning and the discussion and the reviewing. Do you set aside a formal time to do that or is it just at a a sort of morning catch-up or what what does that look like? Yeah, certainly we do quite a lot of planning in the autumn, so we tend to plan it out on the whiteboards. So there's obviously various ways of skinning a cat in terms of which way mobs graze, allowing for access, allowing for buffer strips, allowing for portable water troughs where the trough might be, and trying to work on the green side, not on the black dirt side. So all that is in our daily discussions so that when we set up the crops for the mob sizes, we all know what's going on. And and because I'm an owner-operator living on farm, I can be in the paddock from time to time and, and be in charge of that. Hey, and, and just to, as we finish up, a, a question for both of you. What do you think is next for farmers wintering animals on crop dawn? I, I guess I was wondering... Maybe if you can go first in terms of the research, what do you see as the challenges coming up that the research will focus on? Probably the biggest factor is around that perception of animals in mud and understanding what the short and the longer term consequences of, of that are. And I guess linked with that is 
coming with the research is what impact systems or changes could we make that will reduce that pugging and I guess that bare ground. So that's thinking about things that Rob's already discussed around the, the different cultivation methods, but some farmers are trialling with grass areas as their emergency breakout rooms. Yeah, so thinking about how can we provide for those days where the conditions are not ideal, but not have to pull animals off onto concrete or like some sort of infrastructure. With the research that we've been doing, on probably 85% of the days, the animals are achieving their lying requirements, they're being well fed, but it's those 15 to 20 days where we have those southerly fronts. So how can we come up with systems that address those the concerns for those areas? Because for me, having, I guess, travelled and looked at systems overseas, going off paddock into barns and feed pads and things is not the solution for everybody as well because it just comes with a different set of challenges. So it's really trying to think a little bit outside the square in terms of, well, how could we do, th- do things differently in the paddock? Because we've, we've come a real long way in the environmental space with critical source area protection and paddock selection and waterway management and all those sorts of things. But it's now how can we, I guess, have that improvement in terms of addressing those days where the conditions are not ideal for the cows on the crop. And how about you, Rob? What do you think's next for farmers? Well, I agree with Dawn. I mean, that is quite a big challenge for farmers. How do you get around those 10 or 15 very wet, horrible southland days? That's no easy answer, especially with cows outside. But as I said, you know, if you're following best practice, you can make it better than it possibly has been in the past. So that's a good place to start at the moment. I think that's a really good place to start. One of the things that we must concentrate on from a farming point of view is do not allow cows to carve on crop. That's an absolute must. Sure, you're gonna get the odd one slip this time of the year, but they should be well transitioned off the winter feed crop out of those conditions and onto grass, you know, at least a week or before their planned start of carving. So that's an absolute um, must, I think, for farmers to consider. And I don't know, I mean, when I'm out in the paddock, I constantly think, well, if a drone flew over now, what would it look like? So if you can go about your farming day and think, hmm, yes, what does it look like from above? Then you start to think about some of these other things that becomes automatic. And I think for me, it's the going back to that, there's not one size fits all and there's no silver bullet. So I think going forward, farmers need to understand the risks for their particular farm and their particular business because they've all got different physical and financial resources available to them. And so really thinking about what can I do within the things that I can influence or I've got control of to get the best outcomes in the wintering space. Excellent. Dawn, it might be a good place to finish actually with, could you just, for any listeners who are wondering where they can go to next, say if they want to refine their system, make some tweaks, make changes, learn more, where's a good place for them to go to as a starting point? There's a lot of resources available on the Dairy NZ website. There's a number of planning guides 
that are available on the Dairy NZ and Beef and Lamb websites. And it's just talking to other farmers as well in terms of what they're doing, especially if they're thinking about making a change away from crop and going off paddock because of the costs associated with that, really making sure that you've done your homework in terms of assessing anything that you might be looking at doing differently. Excellent. Thanks, Dawn. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms. 